Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Let's be very honest, life is hard, but it gets a whole lot easier when you start to talk it out, believe it or not. I don't know about you, but I find that if I have a conversation with someone and I actually share some of the burdens, it really helps. It relieves a lot of tension and pressure that may have been built up by me keeping whatever I was, whatever I was dealing with inside of me. My next guest is Dr. Corey Yeager. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's a licensed marriage and family therapist who merges his two passions, which are athletics and therapy, as psychotherapist for the Detroit Pistons. In the role, he supports the overall organization, including players, coaching staff, and front office leadership in his conscientious relational fashion, which you will no doubt hear in this conversation. Dr. Yeager earned his PhD in family social science from the University of Minnesota. He works diligently to advance meaningful dialogue about race and racism and has facilitated courageous conversations across the country with public and private organizations, including, get this, the Oprah Winfrey Network, the Smithsonian Institute, the Gersh Agency, and many, many others. And he has this brilliant new book called How Am I Doing? 40 conversations to have with yourself. And I think this is definitely something that many of us need to become better at because we all have thoughts and we all have inner dialogue. And most times when we have a negative thought that crosses our mind, we we mull over it, we think about it all too often. And then that negative thought will then become a belief. And we start having that same conversation with ourselves over and over and over again, which then causes us to become stuck. So this conversation that I have with Dr. Yeager is more about how we can have better conversations with ourselves, how to change sorry, uh, some of those negative uh, narratives that may be playing around in our minds currently. So if you do get something from this one, please share it around. 
to your friends and your family. You can get Dr. Yeager's book, How Am I Doing? Uh, 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself in the links below. Make it easy for you guys. All right. That's enough from me. You guys know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Dr. Corey Yeager. Thank you. I'm really excited, Jay, to uh, to join you and, and talk about stories, which is, to me, the essence of life. I totally agree wholeheartedly with, wholeheartedly with that uh, fact. I mean, this is the story box, and what I love to do is unbox people's stories to help others realize their own worth and reach their own full potential because I think in today's day and age, a lot of people don't actually know their story has worth. And I wanted to ask you, Dr. Yeager, when was the moment that you realized that your story had worth? The moment. uh, There would probably be a multiplicity of of moments that allowed me to recognize that my story had worth. Um, But it was probably when I began my master's degree work um, in psychotherapy, um, I had thought over many years, people had told me that because I'm big, 6'3", 300 pounds, I had been told a story that my physical stature was really what I had to offer the world. So I believed that um, and pursued um, athletics and loved it. Um, But then once I found out I wasn't going to be a multimillionaire athlete, I was kind of lost. I was lost. I didn't really know who I was. Um, So I think that began a journey towards self-discovery. And through that therapeutic training, I started to get more in touch with who I was. um, And I've continued to do so. I believe, Jay, that our stories are so powerful. And if we have a story, one thing that we must recognize is let let yourself always be the author of your story. I don't want anyone else to write my story. No one can write my story the way I can. Um, So that's why I was really excited to join you today um, to talk about and unpack that process of storytelling. Speaking about being the author of our own story, you know how some books, they have co-authors to them? Do you think Mm -hmm. that we should have anyone that should co-write our story with us? I I don't know so much that they should co-write, but maybe they can be helpful in the editorial process of our story writing. Um, I don't, I think that we should write our story um, and author our story. And then there's moments that we can check in with others in terms of the editorial process. Um, So I don't know that co-authoring would be a bad thing, um, but I think that we must take full ownership of our story. Yeah. Um, and as we do that, we can ask others to help edit. Yeah. Having people come and support you along your journey yes. as you were writing, you know, because we do right. need people. Connection is everything. I think they, they do teach us that in, in being a therapist is if you don't have connection, you're going to find a lot of issues and struggles along the way. So we've got to That's find right. that sense of meaning. And it comes oftentimes with connection, with service, with you know, knowing your own worth as well, your core being. Yes. Um, yes. You mentioned that uh, you're 6'3". Now, I am only, I think, 5'7", so I would be a midget beside you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you also mentioned that uh, 
you were trying to get into football, trying to be an NFL. Mm-hmm. Why was yeah. that the course of your direction in life? I think I think based on the fact that I was always a big kid, um, people almost just associate that size with athletic endeavor, which, which makes sense. Uh, yeah. um, there's no no diminishing in in that thought process. Um, but I didn't realize that there were so many more aspects to me because I had just focused on that stature and being a, a football player. Um, and I loved that wholeheartedly, but I also didn't recognize that I had a mental capacity that could offer something to the world. Um, so that discovery process of the unfolding story um, has been really interesting and the route and the journey that I've taken has been circuitous, um, but I wouldn't change any moments. Even the chaotic, negative, quote unquote, negative moments have taught me. I, I live by a quote that Nelson Mandela used. And what the quote was, Jay, is that he said, in life, we never lose. We either win or we learn. So even those negative spaces and moments in my life, I've utilized as a springboard to help me learn through the chaos. What are you currently learning in your life that's exciting you? That that the opportunities are limitless. That if I can think it, dream it, um, visualize it, then I can do it and become it. And that there are really no limits or boundaries or bounds to our our success, quote unquote. And success is a very relative term. It is unique to each individual. Um, So my success could be a failure to you. Um, So I own my successes. I own my stumbles. And I seek to stumble as much and as often as I can. Because if you stumble and I stumble, I say in the book, sometimes we stumble into magic. And Mm. I, I hope for that and seek that on a daily basis. I read that actually in the introduction. So I was going to ask you about that. And you also yeah. jumped ahead with, to one of my questions, which I normally ask at the very beginning, which is what does success look like to you? Um, how has that changed for you over the course of your life? Has it been sort of this gradual thing at different points in your life that you realize like, oh, this was success for me, now it's this? Or was there more of a catalyst somewhere? Well, I think for me earlier in life, I'm 53 years old. Earlier in life, I think success was dictated by others' def- definition. Yeah. Some would say, if you do this, then you can get that and that's success. And I lived by that. Um, what I've come to understand as time and, and wisdom has ensued is that success can only be defined by me. It is mine to define it is mine to pursue. Um, so I think that has been the learning that I've captured as time has unfolded, that my success is not incumbent or dependent on anyone else. And no one else has to agree if I see something as success. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not my job to make sure that Jay thinks that this is success for me. That's not the task. I have to own it. I have to engage with it. I have to pursue it. Um, And it's not dependent on anyone else. Because it's dangerous, right, to compare another person's level of success to your own because you may not be able to reach that level of, quote, success 
that that person's got. And I think society has created this dangerous narrative for young people, especially that if they don't have X, Y, and Z, if they're not chasing this and if they don't quite achieve it, then they aren't successful. They aren't of any worth in society. Have you found yeah. that in the case with some people? I, I, I really have. And um, I'm a metaphorical therapist, so I use metaphors. Um, I listen for metaphors when people give you metaphors um, from their vantage point. It's, it's particularly important to tune into the metaphors that were handed. Um, so as a metaphorical therapist, one thing to your point that I, the way I see it or think about it is that if a turtle was being measured um, by how far up in a tree you could climb, then it would always be failing, mm. right? So setting our, our measurement by our standard is critically important, um, that a turtle can't fly up in the, into a tree. So if you start to measure its success by its ability to climb that tree, it's always going to be failing. Yeah. Um, so I think that is something metaphorically I live by, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move at my pace um, I'm going to flourish in the way that I see most fitting. Um, and I'm not going to really worry about what others think about my process. As long as I can smile at myself at the end of the day, it's really all that matters. I personally love metaphors. So thank you for sharing that. Got my brain mm. <laughs> working and imagining actually a turtle trying to climb a tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. Um, yep. I wanted to ask you about your greatest failure. Do you remember, mm. have you had a greatest failure in, in the past? And what did you learn from that? My greatest failure. I think my greatest failure overarching would be not recognizing earlier. And this is neither here nor there. We, we unfold moments when they're due to unfold. But if I had a wish, I wish that I could have, discovered my ability to be a thinker earlier because it was always there. It was laying dormant because the focus was on physical stature. Um, So if I could think about failures and I, again, I struggle with even the concept of failure. I don't really know what that is. Um, But if I did lean into the concept of failure, it would be failing to recognize my abilities earlier. Right. But it unfolded the way it was supposed to. Um, and it's worked well. How many degrees have you got currently? So I have a, a BA in psychology, a master's in psychotherapy, and a PhD in family science. So three degrees. Three degrees. Now you've got a lot of wisdom that spans across how, how long have you been doing this for? 20 years. 20 years of experiencing a lot of people. What do you find is the number one issue that people have in life currently? Mm. I think this would be a dichotomy. So I'm going to split this answer into two spaces. Um, One of the most diagnosable issues that we have as human beings are twofold, depression and anxiety. So I see people presenting with these ideas, the ideology of depression 
or anxiety. But I think that there's a misnomer and a misunderstanding in the pop culture, and we overutilize the term depression or anxiety. Um, in the Me You Can't See in the documentary I did, I speak about um, this idea that many people will say, I think this person's depressed. Mm. Well, if I ask you to define and give me the criteria for depression from the DSM, you would have, most people have no idea, but they loosely use the term, this person is depressed. But there is a very thin line between depression and normalized sadness. Yeah. Right. There's moments that we're going to be sad. And that's very healthy. Um, also with anxiety, that there's a ver- there's a level of anxiety that pushes us to succeed and to, to work harder and be prepared for the moments that are coming our way. Um, but people use this term anxiety as if it's a blanket and a coverall, and it's not. So I see these that dichotomy of anxiety and depression presenting itself in forms of sadness um, and overthinking and, and being prepared. I think that those are the two pieces that I see most often in my work. Do you find that stress and being anxious are two of the same thing or different things? I, th- I think they are cousins. I think stress is the cousin of anxiety. Um, And that can be something that we can learn from, that stress is going to kind of always be omnipresent in our lives. There's, again, and that's defined differently. Something that's stressful for you may be enjoyable for me. Um, So I do see this occurring often, um, but being okay with the fact that stress and anxiety may be commonplace and realizing that these things can push us to prepare for the future, but we can never get it twisted, Jay, that everything in the mind is made up. If I think back to my my past, it's my mind creating ideas of what has occurred. Also, my mind is so powerful that it can prepare me and think about what's gonna happen in the future, but none of those are reality. The only true thing that we have in life, Jay, is the current moment. What happened 10 minutes ago is gone and never to reappear other than in the mind. What's going to happen 10 minutes from now is yet to be seen. So the only true essence that we have in life is the current moment. So we should seek to stay in the moment, stay rooted, feet down in the moment. Remind yourself that we are you are here and now. And everything else will fork itself out. I think there's two reasons why, and this is from my own personal experience, having dealt with anxiety for a long period of my life, as well as suffering two panic attacks when I was in school. Now, there was a lot of events happening and unfolding in my life at that at that stage. But the main thing that I kept doing was allowing these negative thoughts, these anxious thoughts to creep into my mind. I kept thinking about it. They always had to do with the what if, the future, right? And that only made me feel like outside of my body a little bit. I was just, I was tense. I was just, I couldn't, I didn't know how to handle it properly. And so Mm. the panic attack came as a result of anxious thoughts and it, my body reacted that way. It felt yeah. like I was having a heart attack. 
the yes. chest palpitations, the tingling down the arms, the mm-hmm. whole thing. And then the ambulance came and the officer, she did all the tests on me and she goes, you're, you're having a panic attack. You're not having a heart attack. And she goes, I want you to breathe. I want you to focus on your breath, the here and now. Yes. Don't go and overextend to something that hasn't even happened yet. I think a lot of people are, are doing that. Are you finding the same thing when you speak to people? Yeah. I think that that analogy that you just used is critically important because what she did when she said focus on your breathing, if you truly focus on your breathing, it forces you into the current moment. You can't be worried about what has happened. You won't be worried about what's going to happen. If you focus on your breathing at a true in a true sense of focus, it forces you into the current moment. Um, and there's some really good research that's come out in the last few years around negative thinking and that all the negative thoughts that we have on a daily basis, we don't tune into it. It's called self-talk. We don't really tune into it, but once we can become aware of it, we can realize that about, I forget the exact number, around 93 to 95% of all those things we worry about never, ever occur. It never happens, right? So we go through our lives being anxious and stressed about what's going to occur and then it doesn't it's not as big as we thought so the moments that we're scared and nervous about once we if you were for instance if you're nervous about a big presentation in front of 5,000 people you could be really nervous and work yourself up you can overthink it and then you get to the moment and you go through the moment and you end up by saying that wasn't even a fourth as bad as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But I spent all of this time and energy and effort overthinking about these moments that were coming. And then I built it up to be this huge thing and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So now I've wasted energy that I can never get back. Once it's gone, it's never to return. The thing that we also know about anxiety is associated with all anxiety is energy. It produces a ton of energy. So if we could find a way to shift some of that thinking and utilize that energy to our benefit, it could change our lives. And I think that's what we should be engaging with. It was interesting because the other week I went on the, went on a plane for the first time as an adult. And when I, before I even got on the plane, I was calm and, Try to relax. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Myself as best I could, I was chewing a lot of gum. 
<laughs> and then when I got on the plane and the plane started moving, I'm like, hang on a minute, this is real. This is actually going to happen. And I was sitting yeah. next to a, a couple and I was trying to read my book while on the plane. So I was trying to distract myself from what was going on. And the funny yeah. thing happened. So when the plane took off, I felt the the jolt of the stomach. But then after that, after the moment was done, it was done. Yes. And I didn't feel any sense of anxiety whatsoever. I was trying, yeah. I was mentally trying to focus on my breath in that moment, being in the present. Yeah. It yes. was going to be okay. It was okay. And it made sense. Yes. A lot of the things that I had uh, spoken with many different therapists about actually worked. So that was, that's another example of using it in action when you feel like you're going to be stressed out. And I know yes. that it doesn't really compare to when you are speaking with people in public because that's a, yeah. another kettle of fish, but the, the elements yeah, are the yeah. same, right? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly on point. Um, and just that recognition, I think one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is one of the most critical aspects of where we where we currently are, where we're headed, is just the simple ability to attain awareness. Just being aware, being aware of self, and being aware of self in the context of other. Um, and that other can be a person, or that other can be a, a situation or a thing. Right, you in the context of that airplane. You were in relationship with that airplane. So a relationship is not only human to human, but a relationship can be within. A relationship can be with the temperature in the room. If we said, hey, in both of our rooms, we're going to turn the temperature up to 120 degrees and then have this interview, the relationship that we have with the temperature in the room would impact this the interview. So we're always in relationship and recognizing that being aware of it is critically important. What is the most important conversation we should be having with ourselves regularly? I know you've got 40. In this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One that's the most important. I don't know. It's like asking me which of my kids is my favorite to some <laughs> degree. Right. I, I love them all. and I love them all differently, but a couple that really stand out um, that I write about in the book, one is um, asking yourself, what is your genius? I think that we all have genius, um, something that we're probably really good at, better than average, um, but we oftentimes won't see it as a gene, our genius. So engaging with yourself to better be curious and understand what version of genius do I hold? And that genius can not only benefit the individual, but also can benefit those around me. So realizing that we have those, that genius and that we can utilize it, critically important. Another one is, um, where is your sacred space? Mm -hmm. I think that we should all have sacred spaces, a place that we can be and be comfortable, allows us to regenerate and re-engage with ourselves. Um, and it can be different for different people. For me, it's this big chocolate brown leather chair that I have that's central to in our home that I can see out the window and see the big oak tree and just kind of be in my own thought. I can also hold conversations with my family and I'm centered in that space. So recognizing and understanding where our sacred spaces are 
and what they do, how they can help us. Mm. My sacred space says, I should say, uh, out in the great outdoors. So when I'm mm. exercising early in the morning. And secondly, there's a, a, a place that I used to be able to go to was actually the cemetery, which is where my grandparents are buried. I used to love yeah. sitting down and just being there, present. Yes. Yes. So I love those, that. Those used to be my, because I can't, I'm no longer in Sydney, so I can't go there anymore, but I'll pay Physically. Visits. Physically. Yeah. But mentally, yeah. I'll go there. Mentally, I'll, yes. I'll picture myself being in that space. And then yes. I, I, I believe that my grandparents are still with me. For some yes. And they're yes. still watching over me. So I think that is really, really important. But I think you mentioned something a moment ago, finding your genius. That everyone's got genius. Did you mean mm-hmm. like, does that also mean everyone's got purpose too? Is this another? We all do. Yes, we, we all have genius. We all have purpose. It is a process of self-discovery to unfold that genius, to unfold that purpose. It's present, um, but oftentimes, as I said earlier, it can lay dormant. Mm-hmm. If we haven't become aware of it and really been curious with ourselves, that genius, that purpose can lay dormant, waiting for us to unfold and discover it. Um, and I think that's a process. And the book is hopefully a guidepost um, for us to begin to engage and be more curious with who we are um, and how we are in the world. Right. If I can do the work of better understanding myself, that means I show up in the world a better version of myself. And that's what we all see. What's the hardest conversation you've ever had to have with yourself? Um, probably admitting that I had wasted a number of years being lost, but that I had the ability to change that from this moment moving forward. Um, I had a number of years after football was done where I was wayward. I was just kind of lost. I, 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 football was done. I didn't think it would be done as abruptly and as quickly as it would be. I hadn't gotten my, didn't get my degree while I was playing football. So there was a stretch of time where my best friend became alcohol. So I could numb myself from what was in front of me. And I didn't really know. So alcohol became my best friend. Um, It would allow me to not think about the past or worry about the future. It could just numb me. Um, so I had tough conversations with myself about that process and then figuring out, all right, what am I going to do now? I've got to figure it out. Um, and I don't really know what that, I didn't know what that looked like or what it could feel like. Um, and luckily, um, I had my wife who saw so much in me that I didn't see that continuously pushed me to do and become more. Um, and she sat Shiva. Uh, my wife is Jewish. Uh, so they have a concept when you, uh, when there's a death in the community, they come together and do what they call sitting Shiva. And that's not to give you answers or tell you this story that will make you feel better, but it is genuinely just to be with another, with another human being when they're struggling. 
I may not have to say a word, but if you can be with me, I know that there's support there. And at some point we may engage and discuss, but the importance of just being is critically important. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you went to alcohol and it sort of numbed you. That's very much like depression. That's what it is. It, yes. have a numbness towards life. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that, especially with current events that are going on. You name it. It's also yeah. going back to what we were saying before, the, a lot of the anxiety. But I don't want to touch on that anymore. I want to go into, you mentioned uh, you met your wife. And I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. what's the story behind you actually meeting your wife? So I played football at a university right outside of Los Angeles. Grew up in a little small rural farming community, then moved to Los Angeles. So that was a a community of 5,000 to millions of people with a diverse set of individuals. Um, And from playing football, I met this young lady that was from Minneapolis. I had never been to Minnesota in my life. Um, So after football was done, she said, I want to move back to Minneapolis. Well, I didn't have anything going. This was a period of being lost and alcohol was my friend. Um, So when she said Minneapolis, I thought, what else do I have going? So I followed her to Minneapolis, moved with her. That relationship ultimately didn't work out. And then I met my wife. Um, We became very close. She became my best friend. Um, and continuously and consistently pushed me to be more um, and figured out the way in which to push me without being overbearing. So she was almost teaching me uh, a version of this curiosity that I speak about all the time. She always framed things not in an assertive way, but in a curious way. What do you think about going back to school? What would be... What would hold you back from doing it? And it made me think through the process. Um, and she stood by my side the whole way through, um, telling me, you know, the reason you need to get the degree is so that our boys know that both of us have it. Um, and she pushed it and said, I'll get all your transcripts together and I'll support you. So once she got me back into school, for the first time in my life, I understood hey, I, I like this. I like this thinking aspect. And I hadn't really done that before. So it unfolded everything that has led me to where I, where I sit today. Is she a therapist as well? She literally just finished her master's degree with social work. Huh. So working with um, urban youth, specifically African-American um, young people, that have gun charges or gun offenses. Um, So she's doing the resource engagement for them. Here's resources. And she's doing the therapeutic aspect, engaging with them, being supportive of them. Um, And many times for the first time in their lives, they're finding a caring adult or individual that's there and steady. Um, The research tells us that in our lives and our endeavors, If we can have one caring adult, especially for kids, that we feel is really in our corner, all the positive outcomes that we seek increase exponentially. Uh, It it diminishes negativity and increases positivity. So that's a bit of the journey that my wife, Carrie, and I have 
thinking I owe her much more than I can ever repay. I, I attempt to repay it every day, uh, but I'll never be able to repay her for who she's become. Yeah, we all have that important person in our life that really believed in us to start off with and they inspired us, they allowed and they fostered that curiosity. I think yes. more and more people should do that for others. Um, 100%. Yes. Yeah, I, it's something that I am very curious about. I am mindful of the time, Dr. Yeager, so my apologies if I'm going over. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you about, so you are a family therapist as well, so you got a degree in that, and yep. your, your wife is now a therapist too. Do you find that being a therapist helps you at all in your actual home relationships? Very much so. Um, the, to be able to maintain a level of curiosity, to recognize that in relationship, I think this is one of the most critical aspects of being in relationship, is that if both parties can engage and have a commitment to repair, the relationship will always work. Both parties committed to repair. And what does that mean? That means we are recognizing that there will be stumbles, there will be struggles, but if we're committed to repair, we'll be fine. The avoidance of contemptuous conversations. Once my grandmother used to say, baby, if you squeeze the toothpaste out, you can never put it back. Those are the words of our lives. Once I say it, it's there forever. So if I say something contemptuous, you don't get to retract that statement. It's now out there. Um, and you can imagine if you squeeze the toothpaste out and attempt to put it back in, it's going to be a mess. Um, right? So being thoughtful about how I engage with not just my wife, but my, my kids and um, being curious with them and being in their corner and supportive. Um, I had a friend of mine say, in life, one of the struggles that I have is I feel like a boxer without a corner. So you can imagine a boxer in the ring, the, the ring, the, the round ends. And what does the boxer do? They go back to their corner and they have a cut man and they have someone giving them instructions and all that support. But if you can imagine seeing that person getting all that support and you go to your corner and there's no one there, that's a bad feeling. So hopefully in life, we can seek to develop a corner, our corner men and women that will be there for us um, is only beneficial. Yeah, totally agree with you on that. How should we navigate having difficult conversations, not with us, not just with ourselves, but also with other people? I think that we should learn to lean into those difficult conversations because what we have to realize, Jay, Oftentimes, when we have difficult conversations, both parties already know that they're struggling, but no one says anything. Just go silent. I'm struggling. I don't like that he does this. I don't like that she does that. But no one says it. So we move through life having all these things that we're thinking about, but no one will, will discuss them. So I am a big believer. I feel most alive when there's conflict. And not conflict for the sake of conflict, but conflict seeking resolution, right? The conflict is not a bad thing in and of itself, but can we move to resolve? And the answer is yes. 
will we move to resolve is the real question. Um, so I lean into the conflictual spaces. And as a therapist, that's important because people coming to you as a therapist, they're coming with conflict that they haven't figured out how to work through. So being able to work and engage and be okay with conflict and have the overarching framework and understanding that I'm going to help move to resolution in that therapeutic endeavor, but also in my life and as I move. I think it's really important. I think tone of voice, having a kind spirit about you also, and then the ability to ask questions and once again, going back to fostering curiosity because yes. that person that has this sort of conflict within them that wants to get it out, mm. they're yes. curious about knowing how to either heal it or, or try and fix it. So you That's as right. a person that is listening to them, you've got to somehow navigate around that in a kind That's manner, right. not to turn yes. that person off and not to cause more heat and more contention. Yeah, it's a it's a balancing act, Jay. That's what I've found in, in therapy is you have to balance all that. One trick that I've found is a, not a trick, but a, a way of being is that I oftentimes ask people for permission to challenge them. Right. And if I if I said, Jay, you know, I'm listening to your story. Are you OK if I challenge you and push you on something that I heard you say? 99.9% of the time, that person's always going to say, well, sure, because they're now curious about what the challenge is, what you're going to push them in. And from that challenge, now we get a chance to get in the playground of our lives and play. That curiosity becomes play and banter. And from that play, from that banter, awareness is elicited. Um, and if we can elicit awareness and understanding, well, we're moving the journey. I say this all the time, that in life, let us not be ponds. Let us be rivers. Mm. A pond can become very stagnant, but a river is ever evolving, ever regenerating, ever flowing and moving. That's what I seek to be and do in life is to continuously be flowing and moving. Fluidity is important. Uh, so I, I move and see the world that way. That's powerful. I've got two final questions for you, Dr. Yeager, if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So your book is out currently. Um, it is called How Am I Doing? 40 Conversations to Have with Yourself. I wanted to ask you, where do you want people first and foremost to get a copy of this book? Yeah, so you can Google my name, Dr. Corey Yeager, C-O-R-E-Y-Y-E-A-G-E-R. -E you can Google that. Um, and you can go to Amazon. The book is on Amazon, which is probably the easiest access point for the book. Um, Barnes and Noble, any of the major booksellers. But now it's starting to be in some of the smaller book spaces. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Corey Yeager, TikTok. So if you just go with Dr. Corey Yeager, you'll find it. Amazing. I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of it. My Beautiful. final question for you, Dr. Yeager, this is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends mm -hmm. and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. <laughs> 
to yeah. be able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday, what do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I wanted to show and emphasize the generosity um, that I have developed over my lifetime. Um, I wanted to distinguish the difference in knowledge and wisdom and say that I was a wise man, um, recognizing that knowledge is just the attainment of information, but wisdom is the application thereof. Um, so that I moved with wisdom, um, that I was a healer that helped treat, right? So I think we have to distinguish also, Jay, between treatment and healing, that healing must always come from within. It is ne- can never come from outside of the individual or the community. It must come from within. My work is treatment work that helps facilitate healing, Right. So I distinguish between the two. I would hope that people would see me as a healer, um, gener- a, a level of a high level of generosity, a healing facilitator, um, and a wise man. That's what I would hope the focus would be. Well, to me, you are a wise man. I really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. having this conversation with you. I'm sure one of many, many to come, but thank you so much. Dr. Yeager, for your time today, your stories, your wisdom, and your advice, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Jay, it was absolutely a a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate the time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 